I heard someone say no. Can everyone hear me? Well, as we were praying earlier, uh, a word came to me. I just want to just put it out there right now. Hallelujah. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I'm not real big on like, you know, saying stuff that rhymes and whatnot like that, but God just threw it on me. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to roll with it. So, you know, what I felt like was being said to me is that if you're still living in 2008, you're too late. But 2009, it's time. Amen. Amen. Everyone say it. Say 2009, it's time. time. One more time. 2009, it's time. God's going to do a mighty thing in 2009. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Okay. If everyone would open up their, their sword to second Chronicles 33. <laughs> Verses nine to 13. Okay. And I want to, we'll just alternate verses. Everyone there? Everyone's looking really hard. I think it's been a while since everyone's been to Second Chronicles. <laughs> it's after First Chronicles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to dive into the word tonight. Hallelujah. Okay, is everyone there? Okay, all right, so we're going to alternate verses, all right? Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea. And brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Father God, I just want to thank you for tonight, Lord God. I want to thank you, Lord, that that you have brought us here, Lord God, into 2009, Lord God, and that 2009 is time, God, that this is the time, Lord God, in which you are going to release this church, Lord God, into even greater things, Lord God, that this is 2009 is the year, Lord God, the time in which your glory is going to just be spread over all the nations, Lord God, that 2009, Lord God, you are going to do a mighty work, Lord God, that Father God, you want us, Lord God, to forget the former things and to not dwell on the past because you are doing a new thing 
in 2009, God. I pray, Lord God, that tonight, Lord God, that new thing will begin in this church, Lord God, for 2009. I, I pray, Lord God, that tonight, Lord God, you would, Father God, change the hearts of your people, Lord God, tonight, Lord God, that you would take us back, Lord God, to what really matters, Lord God, and that is you and, Father God, everything that you are for us, God. I pray, Lord God, that, Father God, your Holy Spirit, Lord God, will come, Father God, and just dwell in this place among us, Lord God, ministering to each one of us in power, God. I just thank you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God. I trust you, Lord God, because, Lord God, we trust you, Lord God. We know, Lord God, that you are going to, Father God, change lives tonight, Lord God. We just seize it. We claim it, Father God, in faith, Lord God. So we thank you for it, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight I want to talk to you about this guy, Manasseh, Manasseh, however you want to say it. J.M., how should I say it? Manessa. Okay, I'm going to go with J.M.'s, what J.M. says. Manessa. Everyone say Manessa. Okay, Manessa. So I want to talk to you about Manessa. Now, Manessa is a king. He was a king in Second Chronicles, obviously. And as the word comes to us, I believe that tonight God is wanting to speak through us speak to us through his story is one of the most remarkable people in the Bible. His story is a story of sin, a story of repentance, a story of grace and a story of God's power to redeem. And I believe that we can see ourselves in this story about how the very worst of kings and how even in the worst of us, God can do a mighty work. Amen. Okay, so. I'm going to read it one more time. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and was and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. The Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Okay, so tonight we met, we read this particular passage, but. I'm wanting us to focus tonight on pretty much the whole chapter. Okay, and we're going to focus on three aspects of Manasseh's story. First, his sin, then his repentance and freedom, and then his restoration. So his rebellion, his rebuke, and then repentance and restoration. So first, I want to start tonight with rebellion. Manasseh was king of Judah from 697 to 642 B.C., and he reigned over Judah for 55 years. All right. To those of us who, who, are, who know the story of Manasseh already, Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. Okay. And he took the throne. He became king of Judah at 12 years old. Okay. Hezekiah, Hezekiah, like I've, I've known a preacher back in the day. His name's like, well, it's not back in the day. It's in New York, I believe. His name's Hezekiah Walker. And, uh, I always wondered, why is the name Hezekiah? That's, is that biblical? But Hezekiah, yeah. Hezekiah was one of the few kings with the exception of David, Solomon, and later, what, Josiah? 
who did right in the sight of the Lord. If you read first Kings, second Kings, first and second Chronicles, you see this long line of kings that led God's people in all kinds of idolatry, fornication, destruction. Yet Hezekiah, Manasseh's father, was one of the only godly men to lead the people of Judah back into God's graces. Hezekiah was a great king, a king who reformed the kingdom and showed what it meant. He reformed the kingdom to what it should have been after David. So after David and Solomon, you had this long line of kings who who weren't doing the will of God. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. But then came Hezekiah and Hezekiah reformed the kingdom, began to do things that were right in the sight of God. So he was a king of morality, character and faith. And he set this godly example for his son, Manasseh. But Manasseh was the opposite. He was the rebel. He was the delinquent. If you look earlier in the chapter, you see it. He was the rebel. He was the delinquent. He did everything that he wasn't supposed to do. I mean, you know, like, at least in my family, at least in my household, like, there's like, there's one of us. Like, I have have a little brother and a little sister. And out of us three, there's one of us that's the rebel. We have this, we have the smart one. We have like the, the gentle one. And then we have the rebel. You know, I know like all of our families probably have like that one rebel. If you don't, hallelujah, praise God. But I know my family definitely had the rebel and I just happened to be it. So, uh, so, so was Manessa. Manessa took the throne at a very, very young age. Like I said, he was 12 years old. And he, when he did get the throne, he did many of the things that his father Hezekiah did not do, and he worked against. Second Chronicles 33, verse 3 says, For he rebuilt the high places, he, meaning Manasseh, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, and he erected altars to the Baals and made Asherahs and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord. It wasn't that Manasseh was just like a bad boy. It wasn't that he was just like a little rebel. He was he was bad to the bone. All right. Like Spurgeon. I mean, you know, you guys all know who Spurgeon is. He had this to say about Manasseh. He was a desperado in sin and went to the utmost limit of it, being very bold and desperately set on mischief. Now, whether it be for right or wrong, boldness is always sure to win the day. Give me a coward, you give me nothing. Give me a bold man, and you give me one that can do something, whether for Christ's cause or for the devil. Manasseh was a man of this kind. If he cursed God, it was with a loud voice. It was not in a hole or corner but upon his throne that he issued proclamations against the most high and in the most daring manner insulted the Lord God of Israel. Manasseh was not just any kind of wayward leader, brothers and sisters. You know, he's not like, okay, I don't want to put my political views out there, but you know, he's not just any wayward leader. You know, you think like, you think like people like Saddam Hussein is bad or, or Kim Jong-il is bad. But brothers and sisters, Manessa was like on a whole nother level. All right. 
Like Manasseh in the Bible, it says that he was the very worst of all the kings. He was the worst one. Of all the kings that did bad things, this dude was the worst, all right? I mean, Spurgeon called him a desperado in sin who went to the utmost limit of it. His rebellion was so bad that he even burned his sons as offerings. And he used fortune telling and omens and sorcery. And then he built idols and he took those idols. And it wasn't like he just placed them on the mountain. He placed those idols in the temple. He put them in God's temple. That's rebellion. But I'm not telling you about Manasseh's rebellion so that you and I can sit here and feel better about ourselves. Right. We have a human tendency when we hear about kings like that to be like, man, homie's bad. Like, he killed his own kids. What? Like. And we begin to judge in that way. Oh, I'm not as bad as Manasseh, at least. Thank you. Because we are no better. We may not be the very worst of kings, but we in our own transgressions. Without Christ are the very worst of sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rebel against God in the same way that Manasseh was found guilty. I mean, when you look at all the things that Manasseh did. When he built the altars, when he built the idols and put them in the, the temple of God, when he sacrificed his own children. He did it out of pride. We all rebel against our father. We all rebel against our father. Manasseh rebelled against his natural father and his heavenly father. We we rebel against his sovereignty, against his wisdom against his love. I mean, Manasseh's pride led him to sin in two ways. One, he worshiped creation and not creator. And two, he defied and questioned the wisdom, will, and sovereignty of God. So first, he worshiped creation. We worship creation all the time. We build up our own asherahs, our own places of idol worship. But we call them catchier names. The creation around us. We even worship each other. Materials, products, food, looks, television, consumerism. The list goes on and on. And we worship those things instead of the creator. I mean, if we were kings. We would probably set up the same things. We live in a world where our flesh is tempted every moment to worship itself over the living God. And Manasseh was no different. He worshiped creation over the creator. So don't think that we're any better. He killed his kids as sacrifice. We're like, man, that's horrible. You don't think this world doesn't do the same? Look at the abortion rates. We sacrifice our children for the sake of success, for the sake of convenience. Look at the rate of youth suicides. People being sacrificed for the sake of success and achievement. 
And don't we question the will of God for our lives? We set ourselves up as kings in our own lives. And then we seek knowledge from everywhere else except for the Bible, except from God. God oftentimes leads us in the right direction so closely, but instead we don't listen. We hear everything else. We listen to what we read and watch everywhere else, and that's what we follow. I mean, I must admit, I'm guilty of the same thing. When I watch the news, when I read magazines, when I when I look at the things of this world, I become so engulfed in it that I that those things become my prophets. The CNN.com becomes my prophet. It becomes my my necromancer. It becomes my fortune teller. We seek mediums and fortune tellers of the worst kind. I'm not saying that we shouldn't read the news, you know. (laughs) But the things that we read should only confirm the things that we read in the Bible. Where we see God's doing things he already said he was going to do. We lift up the knowledge of this world more than we lift up the knowledge of God. So I'm sure in just those two areas, we can see where our hearts and Manasseh's hearts align. So just like him, we find ourselves at a place where we offend a holy God. So what does God do? God rebukes. So that's the second one. So first we rebel and God rebukes. If you look at verse six, after it says that Manasseh had committed all these atrocious acts in the sight of God, what was the effect that these things had on God? Verse six, it says he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. God got angry. Manasseh's rebellion angered the Lord. And then we can see God's response to it in verse 10 and 11. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, so that therefore, that's because of that. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Sometimes when we are knee deep in our own prideful idolatry, God doesn't just Moved to rebuke us in a flash like he did with Saul. There are times, as we see here with Manasseh, that God will move to rebuke us by raising up opposition to us. The king of Assyria, the Assyrians during this time were not Christians, and they still aren't today. If you look at the map and you see where Assyria is, it's modern day Syria and Iraq. Syria and Iraq are the same way now as they were then, pagan. But God used the king of Assyria to humble Manasseh and to bind him in chains of bronze. God used a pagan king to humble the king of his own people. And you can see God does these things. God uses things that we would least expect He would use opposition 
to humble us. He did the same thing with King Saul. When King Saul was filled with jealousy towards David, God allowed a spirit, not of himself, a spirit of the enemy to torment David, torment King Saul, forgive me, not David, with the aim of bringing him to a place of humility, to rebuke him. God can and will use anything to humble his people in order to discipline us, even opposition. But we're never caught without a warning. If you look in verse 10, it wasn't that God stayed silent and allowed Manasseh to do all these things and then rebuked him. It wasn't that God stays silent and allows his people to continually sin against him without doing anything, without saying anything. The Lord spoke, it says, but they paid no attention. You ever been around someone that that, you know, you see. You see what they're doing and you keep talking to them like, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. And they're just not listening. Or you ever been around someone and you're trying to tell them something really important? Like, you know, John Michael, you know, last night, you know, me and David were playing video games and we beat Christian. You know, we beat them really bad. You need to hear this. It's really important. It's really important. It's really important. And you're not listening. Like, that would get kind of annoying, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that kind of move you to anger? If you're trying to tell someone something really important and they don't listen. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves correction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, discipline, correction is stupid. Is what? Stupid. Everyone say stupid. The Lord spoke, but they did not listen. They did not pay attention. They were stupid. You invite punishment on yourself when God's speaking to you about what you're doing and you don't listen. The Bible says you're being stupid. And Manasseh was in the same way doing those things. We, too, are left without excuse. We, too, hear the word of the Lord, and yet we do nothing. We don't listen. We don't pay attention. We're too busy with what's going on in our lives to actually stop, think about it, and do what God's telling us to do. Change course for the sake of what he's telling us to do. I mean, God's placed in each one of our lives, brothers and sisters, spiritual authority, his own word. To keep us in check. But the question is, when God speaks, do we listen? Or are we inviting rebuke? Manasseh didn't, and he was captured and bound in chains because of it. I believe, brothers and sisters, it's really important. That fact that he was bound in chains. Those chains in themselves have have a meaning. They were chains of bronze that Manasseh was bound in. Not gold, but bronze. As I read that, I was like, why chains of bronze? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Chains of bronze. But when the Bible, it talks about different things. The most precious thing is what? When it talks about metals, gold. 
The Bible talks about our faith even, a priceless thing being made of more worth than gold. Gold is precious. Bronze, it's nice and all, but not so much. Bronze is actually a a mix of things. And Manessa's actions, while I'm sure were majestic in the eyes of men, while I'm sure they seem like gold to man, really were just chains of bronze in God's eyes. Those chains were not chains that were put onto Manasseh, but those chains of bronze, those chains of his sin, sin that always seeks to look like gold, but always falls short. Manasseh had placed those chains on himself. God just used opposition and rebuke to reveal what was already there on the inside. It was only when Manasseh was in chains that he realized he had always been in chains. What chains are you wearing? What is God speaking to you and showing you right now about your own condition? Are you in chains of bronze? Or are you free? So after, after Manasseh is captured and he's putting these chains of bronze, Manasseh saw his condition, finally. In Babylon, in chains of bronze, sitting in captivity that his own disobedience and pride had forged, sitting in a prison that he himself had made, not Satan, not someone else. I'm sure the principalities of the dark realm, I'm sure Satan really pushed him to do some things. But when it comes down to it, Satan can't make you do anything. He can only suggest, only persuade. I'm sure Manessa was sitting there thinking about, man, I'm in a prison of my own making. Verse 12 says, and when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So here we are at the culmination of our story, right? Manasseh in captivity repented. He cried out to God in chains of bronze, petitioning him, petitioning the God that he had forsaken and forgotten to come and rescue him in his hour of need. Manasseh had realized that, you know what? He really did need God. Manasseh humbled himself at the foot of God and asked for forgiveness. He repented. In this act of repentance, it revealed two things. It revealed that when he was repented, when he repented, he was restored and God freed him from those chains. And it revealed that when you repent, God will always free you from the chains of prideful disobedience. Repentance is what's necessary to free you from your chains. And second is that when we humble ourselves, God is quick to answer. If you've ever gone through a deliverance session, as I have, one of the most important aspects of that deliverance 
is repentance. Confess, repent, renounce. But it's really important to repent. It is only when you confess your sins and repent of those sins that God's faithfulness and his justice to cleanse you and bring you into all righteousness occurs. I mean, I remember at my deliverance session, I was sitting there and I was confessing all these things in my deliverance session, all these, all these sins of debauchery, all these sins of drunkenness, all these sins of disobedience. And if it would have just stopped there with the confession, I would have felt, I would have felt really bad leaving. But it didn't. It was only after God led me to repent of those sins that I began to experience freedom in those areas. The son, of course, has already set us free, brothers and sisters. But repentance is how you declare to God that you believe that word to be true. And when you do that, if you do that in the same way that Manasseh did it, in the same way Manasseh, as he was brought out of Babylon, out of the chains and into Jerusalem, God will do the same thing for us. He will take us out of our own Babylons and into our own Jerusalems, out of our houses of sin and into his palace of glory. And if God can save someone like Manasseh, someone who committed all these atrocities, is the very worst of kings. He committed atrocity after atrocity, killing his own kids, right? How much more does he do for us? Okay, so finally, Manasseh humbled himself. God saved him. The end, right? Somebody in the church say negative. Everyone say negative. I'm going to teach y'all some slang tonight. Negative, when somebody asks you a question and you want to say no, just say negative. <laughs> uh, you know, start a new thing in 2009. <laughs> so Manasseh humbled himself. God saved him. The end, right? Negative. Because repentance and restoration does not completely solve the problem. It requires more. Verse 15 says, And he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Manasseh couldn't just go home from Babylon and do nothing. Just be like, yeah, God's freed me. Hallelujah. I'm done. He couldn't just go back and leave the idols up in the temple. The Asherahs and altars still up and running. No, Manasseh had to remove everything. He took everything and put it outside of the city. Remember that. He took it and put it outside of the city. He had to remove everything just so he would be able to walk fully in the will of God. 
A lot of times we're under the false impression that we can have a dirty house and still have the spirit of the sovereign Lord come and fill it. We're under this impression that we can that we can keep all the dirty rags inside the house and still expect God to come and call it home. Somebody in the church say negative. Negative. (laughs) No, you got to go and remove those things that make you vulnerable on the inside of your fortress and the inside of your own city. Manasseh had to go and remove everything that would make him vulnerable to sin again and take it outside of the city. And so once God has led you, he's rebuked you, he's, he's brought you to a place of repentance, he's restored you, you got to act. You got to go and take all those things on the inside that are making you vulnerable, holes in your armor. You got to take them outside of your city, outside of your life. See, what Manasseh first did is he first went home and he built a wall. He built a wall around the city. So he was no longer vulnerable from the outside, but he was still vulnerable on the inside. We have to do the same thing as well. We have to go and remove the things that are on the inside causing us to stumble. The biggest obstacle between us and God is not Satan. It's us. We are sometimes filled with so many internal Asherahs and idols. And those things, they got to go. Amen? We can only be filled with the Spirit when we are not filled with other things. Do not get drunk. Do not be filled with wine, which leads to debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit. It's not just talking about wine. Do not be filling yourselves with the things of this world or with the things that are inside that are causing you to stumble, making you vulnerable. You got to remove those idols and take them outside of the city. Once you've cleaned house, then there's room for the spirit to dwell. And then finally, you can give God thanksgiving and give a sacrifice to God that is holy and pleasing to him. Amen. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. there it is almost had a problem hallelujah god's gracious (laughs) okay so a couple more things so i mentioned earlier manessa was a king that rebelled against hezekiah his father as well as god his heavenly father despite the teachings and example that god left for him through hezekiah in chapter 33 verses 21 to 23. If everyone can look there right now. You see the rise of Manasseh's son. I'm going to say Amen. 
who goes on to commit even worse things. So you have Manasseh who's, who's repented. He's removed everything that was in his city and took it out. He, he dies. His son takes the throne. And his son ends up doing even worse things than he ever did. But one thing is key. Verse 22. And he, meaning his son Amon, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. Amon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh his father had made and served them. Out of everything that Manasseh did do, he confessed, he repented, he renounced. He committed one big mistake. He only removed the idols. He never destroyed them. He never destroyed them, leaving his son Amon to just put the idols right back up to where his father had put them. And when I read this, I wondered, like, this is really random at the end of the chapter. You know, he spent like five-sixths of the chapter talking about Manasseh and then this little bit about his son. Why would God put that there? And this is why. Because the story of Amon, Manasseh's son, serves as a warning to us, brothers and sisters. It's not just that you remove you got to destroy. It's not just enough for you to remove the simple traces of sin from your life. You got to seek to destroy them. John 10, 10 says Satan seeks to steal, kill and destroy. How many of us? How many of us approach Satan in that kind of way? How many of us approach the enemy in that kind of way? How many of us in this room want to still kill and destroy Satan and his works on this earth? I believe that Manasseh's big mistake was not that there was left in him. It wasn't that he didn't repent enough. It wasn't that he didn't renounce enough. It was that there was this small trace of carelessness towards sin. Sometimes once we we repent and we renounce it we begin to look at sin say oh you know i'm saved now i'm saved and we begin to take this careless view towards sin but god's view of sin sin never changes god's view of sin is always a hatred of sin sure the the sin was bad to manessa but it wasn't bad enough to destroy it. It was only bad enough to remove it. Sure, the idols were an abomination in God's eyes, but he didn't want to destroy them. Just take them outside of the city. Not make them into dust as his grandson, who did do right in the sight of God, later did. But just take them out. We can have that same cavalier attitude Seeking not to get, not to destroy our idols, but to instead rearrange them. Move them outside of the box, but keep them around. We cast out demons, but we forget that they come back with seven stronger. We forget that the sins that we commit, if we don't seek to, we don't look to destroy them, they find their way back. Sin and death are serious matters 
you and I must pray, worship, and live understanding that. Amen? I'll close with this. So back to Manessa. Hallelujah that we serve a God that loves us and that loved Manessa enough and was filled with enough grace for him. Manessa was the worst king to ever rule over Judah, who through his rebellion provoked the Lord to anger, but it was God's mercy and grace that provoked Manessa to rebuke repentance and restoration. We can take heart then that the same immutable, unchanging God, the same God that would save the very worst of kings, the same God that would save someone who would do all of these things, has the same heart for us today. That he would take the worst of kings, the worst of men, the worst of us, and make us the best of his children and his chosen. Let's pray.